As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Around the Bible. Around the Bible is a Christ-centered podcast. Around the Bible is devoted to having honest conversations with local church leaders. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to Around the Bible. Um, I'm joined today by Pastor Earl Breeden, and uh, thanks for having a conversation with me today, Earl. Yeah, man. Um, first, I just want to understand. I just want us to understand that Earl and I are co-pastors together at Revive, and it's a it's an awesome thing. And I appreciate everything that Earl does, and um, excited to have him on today. So I want to just start with having Earl kind of share a short uh, his testimony in short, real quick. So share your how you came to know Jesus, how you came to be a pastor. Well, back when I was uh, twelve years old, my mom and dad had made a decision um, to start going to church. And uh, through that, through going to the youth group, through uh, just faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, I used to just look at the pastor and look at the youth uh, pastor that I had, and I just really felt a calling that that was something um, that just enticed me to want to do more. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, I fell away uh, from church. Uh, my mom and dad kind of stopped going when I was around 15 years old, and um I never really stopped feeling a calling um, to the gospel when my sister Gina would call me up and uh, invite me to church. And uh, pretty much my family, I had, you know, sisters that were still going to church and never stopped, never faithful. And they never gave up. They saw something that was there. And uh, when I was 26 years old, me and my wife committed um, our works to the Lord. And it didn't happen in a church. It happened actually in a shower. And uh, but it changed my life. I felt God was just calling me to uh, more than I was living, and so I showed up in church that same Sunday morning, and um, that went from there. Changed my life, and then uh, after a while, I you know just going to church, being faithful, just doing every job that I could do, um, ended up going to school, and and uh, here we sit here today. I mean, it's a longer story than that, but um, to try to summarize up what God's did in the last 20 years, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and uh, what's interesting is Earl came to know Jesus while taking a shower because his wife was going to church. Yes. His wife kind of led the start mm-hmm. for their family, and uh, he kind of followed after that and became that spiritual leader of his family, too. So that's a cool story. So, uh, yeah, I want to just share real quickly how Earl and I became uh, partners in ministry. Um, and uh, so... Revive started in, in 2014, 
Uh, it was actually a merger of multiple ministries. One of those ministries was Earl's ministry, um, Earl's church that he pastored. Um, and in 2014, Earl's ministry, the ministry that I was leading, the ministry that Earl was leading, it's got all God's ministry, but the ministry Earl was leading called 2020, and uh, the ministry I was leading and, and another ministry joined together to make what is now Revive. Uh, anything you want to add? Like, it's a cool story. Most people don't understand how it works, but it works because, we're, I don't know, it's just like a team thing that we do, and it's it's uh, it's actually been pretty awesome. Well, I think one of the things that made it work, um, I think we were all at a point of something bigger was going to happen. Um, I think we were, I talked to a lot of pastors and a lot of people from the seminary where I was going, and uh, most people had a had an ideal that, you know, that's something that generally doesn't work. But I think in our case, it was, it was very unique um, because we were faced with um, both sides of, of everybody that was coming in all had kind of a different skill set. Um, I was leading worship and also preaching, and I was wanting to get away from the worship side. Um, Pastor Josh and his team at 116, they had a, wor- a whole worship team. Um, we all went into a, a new location, um, but I think I think the thing that made it work is the things that, that I needed, they had, and the things that they needed, uh, we were able to bring. And it, it is very unique uh, what has happened over the last, I think, six years. Uh, this March yeah, is our be, anniversary. it be six years, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just unique. One of the cool things, too, is um, as we were working together to merge, uh, we were praying about where our location would be. And what's interesting is Earl got a call from another pastor named Earl in the community, and uh, their church was shutting down. And they pretty much left everything in that building, almost everything in that building to us, and we took over their lease in their building, so it was a central location that none of us had been in, so none of us felt like that was our location. It was kind of cool how God opened that door. So, But ever since 2014, uh, Revive has been doing ministry, and... Um, and we're thankful for what God is doing, and uh, so. But uh, today, uh, I have Earl on to have a conversation about um, pastor burnout. That's what we're going to talk about today: pastor burnout. And um, we're not here really to dis- to uh, discuss the structure of the church today. Um, we could debate that another day. Like maybe the church structure in America right now is not the way it is biblically. Okay, yes, that that's. You know, that's true. It's not exactly the way the Bible would say maybe a church should be ran. But in the church in America right now, there normally is a a pastor who is seen as kind of that figurehead, that leader. Um, And so a lot of those pastors are quitting. A lot of those pastors are getting burned out. A lot of those pastors are even taking their own lives. A lot of those pastors are struggling, uh, their marriages are struggling, their congregations are struggling, and they are struggling as individuals. And so we want to talk about kind of why that's happening, so maybe some things that we can do to fix that. Um, so I want to read a passage real quick, just one verse, and I was thinking about this week as uh, we were talking about this. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He lists off the, all these things that have happened to him, like shipwrecked and all these other things. And then in 28 he says this, And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, Paul, like one of his anxiety was just thinking about the churches. And so I know as a pastor, 
and Earl could attest to that too. Just we worry and we stress about the people in our congregation, what is going on in their lives. And so, uh, yeah, pastors really care about you. And so, all right, so we've looked at some statistics. Earl, when you read through the, the two pages of statistics on pastor burnout that we read, what stats kind of alarmed you? Now, I think every one of them um, alarmed me. <laughs> every one of them uh, was something that I think you could dissect and look at and try to figure out why does this happen. Um, but I think that I, I have a unique one that I thought was interesting. Uh, the one that I just caught my eye was 90% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours per week, and uh, 50% feel unable to meet the demands of the job. And when I, when I started looking at those numbers of 55 to 75 hours, I believe that this is talking about 55 to 75 hours within the church um, the responsibilities that he has in the church, whether it be um, writing sermons, preparing for sermons, reading, um, to just get his daily devotion in. Um, but also on top of that, I think counseling people, talking on the phones, uh, answering emails, going to the hospitals, um, you know, just going and visiting people, just a lot of demands there. But when you start looking at that, and or at least when I did, I started thinking about, you know, the the overall church in America, when you if you look at a lot of the mega churches, um, they have this this structure in place where the elders and deacons or the, uh, their team uh, will send off the pastor for a sabbatical for a time of rest, something that they feel that's structured in there, something that someone's trained them at some point that this is a healthy thing, it's going to benefit your church. Mm-hmm. But when I start looking at the, the churches as a whole, um, when you look at churches across America, most churches are small. Most of yep. them are running anywhere between yep. 25 to 100 people. Yep. And sure. so when you start looking at 25 to 100 people, um, the leadership teams are a lot smaller in those churches. Um, a lot of times the pastors don't they don't have a rest period that's set aside other than maybe he might go off for a vacation, but even on that vacation he'll get several calls. Um, so there's always a drawing that comes. So, And then I also started thinking about the 55 to 75 hours of church work. And then when you also look at pastors that are out there working um, side jobs Mm -hmm. to try to provide, whether it be insurance for their families or an extra bit of pay because they don't have the resources or finances at the church to support a full-time pastor, you start thinking this is 55 to 75 hours at church, but also Mm -hmm. anywhere between 24 to 40 hours at a job where at a job he's, he's... kind of two different people. So he's one person at church and, and what's required of him. But at, at his workplace, um, there's also a drawing where he lives almost like a second life. And I think that when you start looking at burnout and you start looking at statistics, you have to look at, at the hours and the demand yeah. um, on a pastor that way. So that what really about the things me. that maybe we miss in, in that statistic? You know, did they catch every hour? Just all the different things, not to mention just the constant thinking and praying for your people and kind of stressing about stressing about what's going on in their lives, what they're dealing with. Yeah, a lot That's a of huge. Balls. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I think the stat that got me was um well there there's a lot of stats going around about pastor burnout. Um one of the the most the one that shocked me the most was honestly
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply very sad statistic that 40% of pastors or people in ministry have had an extramarital affair. Okay, that's a totally different subject, but I guess that burnout kind of leads to a really bad, destroyed marriage, and then they reach to something outside of that. But the other stat that got me was 70% of those pastors feel lonely. They don't have a close friend. Um, that's a pretty alarming statistic. And I know that there are times where as a pastor you feel like you're on an island by yourself and you're just kind of trying to help all these other people who are kind of drowning out there. But, uh, yeah, that stat really got me. Um, you you have to have some people around you who are going to support you and help you, for sure. Well, so when that you got talk me. about the burnout, um, when you, you know, a lot of people don't even like the word burnout, but, you know, I, I was kind of taken back to a verse in Matthew chapter 11 where it says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And uh, so when you start thinking about that verse, mm -hmm. you know, we preach a lot of verses where, you know, everybody out there knows that, that life is not perfect, and no matter if you're a Christian or not, problems are coming. Um, you have to, you know, go through seasons like that, and it doesn't matter who you are, uh, good, bad, or whatever. But, you know, when you start thinking about the message of, you know, Jesus as he would go talk to people. There was always this, every time I read the, the scripture and I see Jesus talking to people, there there always seems to be, other than him flipping the tables, which is one incident in the Bible, but when, when you when you look at his interaction with people, it, to me it almost seems like a relaxed um, dialogue that's going on in the Bible. You know, he would be talking to the lady at the well or, you know, or, or feeding 5,000. There were, to me, there was always this relaxed, Um, dialogue that would happen and so I think that we as pastors we we pour so much out but there's not a refueling and you can mm -hmm. only dump so yeah. much out that's a good point and I think uh, I, I'm not seeing the stat that I'm looking at but one of the stats that I read somewhere uh, was about how most of what a pastor does is his work on a sermon he doesn't have his own daily devotional and time with God outside of his sermons and his preparation for those, that is a huge point that we must really remember. I was in seminary, and I remember one of those seminary professors saying, you just can't read your seminary books and do your seminary work, and that's it. You need to have a personal daily walk with Jesus just for your own self, your own sake. Right. And so... That's a huge point too, and like you get, like you talk about, you must refuel yourself. You have to have a daily devotional. You have to have a, a time with God. You have to have solitude. You have to have those things outside of just your sermon prep or your Bible study prep, because that stuff you're you're trying to benefit other people. 
you need to have a time with God where you're just trying to benefit yourself and just come into a deeper relationship with Him. I saw that somewhere. I can't find it. But anyways, um, question number two that I had and I was thinking about, what do you feel is the most pressing pressing issue in why pastors are leaving the ministry or being burnt out? What is that one issue that is causing them to leave the ministry that you would say? Well, when I, I think it's... There's multiple, but... Right, there's multiple, but... I think when you start looking at, at burnout and you start looking at depression, I think it's just work overload. Um, you know, a pastor doesn't just worry about those that are in his congregation. He's also worried about community issues. He's also worried about not just the people that stay, mm-hmm. but even when the people go, there's a stress level that goes up to thinking that, what did I do wrong? You know, what could I have done to keep them here? Um and then you start questioning your own abilities of, am I good enough? And so every single week you get up there and you prepare a sermon, or at least that's what happens in most churches. Ours is a little bit unique, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, most pastors get up there each and every week and are distributing hope that there's this Jesus that can change their life. And so they're pouring, they're pouring, mm-hmm. they're pouring. And I think it's just a matter of a work overload. Yeah, um, for sure. I think another stat that we, and it, it just kind of leads right into this question. Pastors need to be paid more, honestly. If you're going to, sure in, in the structure in the structure of the way that American church is now, if you want the pastor to be the figurehead, which is the way that it is designed to be right now, um, like I said, that's another discussion. But if that's going to be the case, that pastor needs to be paid to do the job that you're asking him to do. It's impossible for him to, to do it on... On, on some of the salaries that you see, um, and I know that w- we've all been there, and that's that's a struggle. Even f- if we're honest, for our, our own church and for different churches, they struggle financially. And so, but that per that person, he's underpaid. He can't take care of his family. Not to mention the stress level and the negativity level and all these other things. That kind of leads to to searching elsewhere to you know to take care of your family and to do the things you need to do. I think well, it's definitely there. Well, just imagine in, in the regular occupational world where you would go find a job. You know, essentially the church has decided that you would be the best one to administer the gospel in that church. Mm-hmm. And whether you were raised up through that church and and yep. and found, you know, them elevating you to the pulpit. But everybody would agree within that church that you were the one that should be administering whether you were hired in or mm-hmm. you know, or however that happened. But, you know, just think about the, the best person to administer the gospel um, stepping onto a stage every single week, um, feeling like that the salary was not appreciated or what you were getting was not appreciated. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking about people that work out in the workforce, you know, what, what would people be satisfied to work for? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, preachers should be willing to do it free. Um, and there is some aspect that most of us would probably do it for most free. Pe- most pr- most pastors aren't doing the ministry because they want money. Right. They're not. Yeah. We're not doing it because yeah. we. You know. You would for want sure. money. Um, but in saying that, I think there's great benefit when that can be your sole focus. Mm-hmm. And there's always a running joke. You know. What, what did you do today? And, yeah. and you know, people. I, I think we don't. I think the you most only work Amer- on Sundays. Yeah. Most Americans only think you work on Sundays, yeah. and there's not this. There's not this ideal that. Being a pastor is an actual occupation. It's a and it's an actual career mm-hmm. that we invest our time in seminary, getting a degree, learning what you know 
what the Bible, mm-hmm. more than just devotional Bible reading, we, yeah. we learn how to disciple people and how to counsel people, and there's a lot of things that go into it. It's an actual career, yep. um, and I think that's the mindset that needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it does, and for sure. Um, I think that underpaid, that that ties into being, they feel underappreciated, they feel lonely, they feel on an island, because, and, and that pay kind of goes into that. And if we're honest, the Bible does say that uh, elders who are more capable of teaching should be paid. It's it's, it's a biblical text, um, and so I think we need to keep that in mind. Um, yeah, I I feel like those things aside, I feel like as a pastor in my personal life, one of the things that gets me is um, is the fact that most of the time, all that we're hearing. And, and from people, and all that we're dealing with are negative circumstances, mm-hmm. and and that can be that can be hard. That's true. Where it's like, well, that's that's going on in that person's life, and that's going on in that person's life, and and it just seems like bad things are happening everywhere, and that's all we hear all the time. And and that can be a, for me, that's one of the hardest things is I have to also remember that there are positive things going on in people's lives. And even those negative things can turn to positive things. Like, uh, I have to remember the baptisms that I've had and I've done this year. I have to remember, the, you know, the people that have come to know Jesus. I have to remember the families that have been helped and, and overcome addiction and, and different things in our church. I just can't let the daily negative I'm hearing today bog me down. I feel like that's a pressing issue in my own as I walked, would you agree? Like that negativity that you yeah, find right. yourself in all the time. You know, I, th- I think a, a good comparison would be looking at a doctor. You know, a doctor is mm-hmm. is in a room. He walks into a room. He walks into the next room. He walks True. into the next room, and basically all he's faced with is someone that's saying, "Fix me." And I think it's a great point that you know, if, if we can't just remember every negative thing that happens because um, people do share uh, what's going on great in their life. But I think that it's easy to just hear that and not celebrate that as a victory within the church, yep. the congregation, the people. And uh, we hold on to the negative. I think I think it's just natural. We hold on to the negative. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I think it's a great point. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of lot of things there for sure. Um, question number three that I had, and I think as a pastor, what are some steps that you can take? to not uh, lead to that burnout stage? What are what are the things that you do personally or you can do better or whatever in your own personal life as a pastor to to make sure that you're not getting burnout? You're not getting uh, to that point of, I'm just done in this, done ministry, done doing this. Yeah. Well, I think that it, it would be hard to address um, our situation here because most people that would listen to this, for one, you're not a pastor. Um and you might not have the setting that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, just for anybody out there that, that wants to know what our setting is, is that I preach one week, uh, Pastor Josh preaches the next week. And so that, that is a unique situation um, to just ours, you know, our situation that, you know, I every single week I can come in and have church. Um, I don't necessarily have to be the minister that day. So, but I would think that's not... That's not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what I would say. I would say that 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The critical thing that is, is important is you have to have a support staff around you um, that you're willing to talk to. Um, that that a lot of pastors feel like they can't share their burdens, and I think we do that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the elders and the deacons are willing to share um, the burden. I think a lot of them see what you do, um, but I think that we need to be willing to share and open up more um, mm-hmm. about what's going on. And I, I think the second thing is, is I think that a pastor needs an out. Um, he needs a a close friend, um, yep. someone that whether they are a pastor. Um, to share in the same burdens, or they're not a pastor, someone that just says, you know, that, hey, I can be around this person, they're going to lift me up, and, and not always just lift me up, but maybe just listen to me, and, and I think having a close relationship with someone, um, other than just putting yourself on an island, yep. and pulling away from your leadership, um, who is there for one to help you, I think it's huge. That goes back to that stat, where 70% feel like, or whatever it was, 70% feel like they don't have a close friend. Right. Yeah. And even just friends that you can just have fun with and enjoy. I know that you have fishing buddies and oh, yeah. and different stuff where you just go fishing and you just enjoy yourself and you can step away yep. from you know the daily struggle and the daily grind of of being a pastor, honestly. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, to have those friends and people around you are good. I think a couple of things that I would say. Number one, it goes back to that daily devotional, like that that intimate time with God that you have personally. It has nothing to do with I'm teaching on this or I'm teaching on this or I'm teaching on this and in my personal my personal devotional is like one chapter a day reading through a book that's my time where it's just about me I'm I'm probably not going to preach on that um you know I could down the road a little bit but that's not what the focus is the focus is on this is what I'm going through and I'm studying this just for my own personal walk with God I think that's an important thing that we must remember um you must have a personal relationship with God, a deep one, in order to be a pastor. Yeah. You can't just be reading just to have you know have a great Bible study. You know you must have a, your own relationship with God. I think I think about John chapter fifteen. I think when Jesus says, "Abide in me, and I in you." I'm the vine; you're the branch. Like you need to abide in me, or you're not going to bear any fruit. Uh, that would be a text that I would go to for that. And then I think it goes back to what Earl said. Having a mentor, even a mentor who's older than you, who can kind of breathe some life into you, is a great thing. I think Earl and I have that with each other. We get to bounce ideas off each other, talk to each other, and then I have a couple other, a couple other ministers and people that are mentors in my life. That if I need something, I call them. They kind of talk me down, and and they're there for me. You know, you need those people who can be there for you. And 
And it could be another pastor. That's a good point too. I think. Yeah. Uh, I have a great relationship. Earl Earl's different. He he still has a, a full time job that he's working in Mabia and in, in different things. But I meet with some local pastors here just to kind of talk about ministry sometimes, just because you need that, and and they can understand what you're going through, and you can understand what they're going through. And so I think that's good. That's one thing about having Earl and myself both here together, and our elders who. We have some ordained pastors in our, you know, they're elders, they're pastors, and and, uh, they're teachers. And so we can kind of vent and talk about that. Use those people as a board, a sounding board, and a help. That's one of the roles of an elder is to help the teaching pastor as well. I think we don't do that enough with our own elders. Let them help us. Um, So I think that's a good point for sure. All right, last thing, and I think we'll probably spend a little bit of time here. Um... What can a church as a whole, the church as a whole, do to make sure their pastor's not being burnt out? And then we'll kind of go to an individual person in the church. What could they do? But what could the church as a whole do to make sure their pastor's not being burnt out? Well, one of the things that, you know, I think about um, just from being a parent, uh, me and my wife did foster care for a lot of years. And, um, you know, I, when you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with burnout, um, it's really no different than a situation you may be dealing with. But here, here's what I would say. I would say that the elders and deacons that are out there listening to this, um, maybe you have a pastor, I would say that um, there's always signs that's going to follow um, when a pastor is stressed, when a pastor is going through depression. Um, there's always some type of signs that you can look for. Um, I think the church um, should look for those signs. Not only look for those signs, I think that, you know, maybe even step in to, to send your pastor an encouraging letter and maybe even sit down with him, talk to him, um, see what, you know, if there's anything there, maybe there's not, maybe he's just having a rough day. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's not a rough year or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. two years or, um, but I would, I would say that there, there's always signs. Um, the second thing I would say too, is, is that one of the things that I find encouraging as a pastor and not that I need it every single week or, you know, if I preach a sermon that I do, I need 20 people to tell me it was great. Um, but I think one of the things that, that makes a huge difference for me is just a, a word of encouragement. Um, I would say that, that most pastors out there are under-encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that encouraging your pastor, um, sure. let, let him know you appreciate him. Let him know that you care. Let him know that um, that what he's preparing 20 to 24, 26 hours a week um, and doing a sermon, let him know that you're retaining some of this information, maybe even... During the week, send him a, a text or an email telling him, hey, I reviewed the, the scriptures that you read this week. And, and I'm going to tell you that, that to me, that speaks life mm-hmm. into me when someone is reading the scriptures that I preach. Because then I know that yeah. not only are they encouraging me, but I know that they're in their word. Yeah. And so that's always a worry that, that people aren't in their word enough. So that lets me know they're doing that. As a, it's encouraging to me. And other than that, I think that you know, look for the signs, encourage your pastor. Um, but I think there's always things out there you know what's going on. And sometimes I think we ignore um, more than we see. Mm-hmm. So just keep your eyes open. Yeah, I agree. So at, at the church as a whole, and you can comment on these as I, as I say these, church as a whole needs to make sure that their pastor's family is being taken care of. Amen. They need to do that. Um, it doesn't mean you're, that you're that you're paying them a crazy amount of money or whatever. 
It could be as simple as, as as a Christmas bonus, or it could be as simple as pastors appreciation. You're just you're just letting you're you're just hosting a dinner or hosting or you're just letting them know you appreciate them and you care for them as a church as a whole. That's a big deal, and I know that uh, you know that's a, that's a huge deal for the church to take. Make sure that the pastor's family is taken care of as best they can. Um, each each situation is different. Each financial situation is different, but we need to understand we need to take care of our pastors. That's one of our ministries financially as a church, for sure. Um, I think that's a big deal. Um, second, I think as leadership, like Earl said, be that sounding board. Be that. Be be those elders that in an elders meeting you're asking your pastor, "How are you doing?" Um, what can we do to help? I think that's a big deal um, for your for your pastors. And like I think Earl said it earlier, didn't you say it earlier that maybe giving your pastor a, a, a three week break and saying yeah. we're just giving you a three week break, like just take it. Um, that sabbatical idea. I think that a lot of times that's that's only available to larger churches, and um, and that's a big deal. On smaller churches, the pastor's not just the pastor. Right, he's the secretary. He's the hospital visits. He's he's teaching. He's doing all of those things. You know, he's got multiple hats on and multiple jobs to do. Uh, so it may be harder for you as a smaller church to let your pastor take some weeks off. But man, it would be greatly beneficial for him to be able to do that. Wouldn't you agree? Like that's a huge deal. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that we're so conditioned nowadays as pastors to. You know, if that was offered up, I'm not sure that your pastor would want to do that. Um, and and maybe you just need to um, encourage that. And maybe if, if he were to take, you know, that opportunity, maybe he would see great value in it. But I would also add, if, if you're going to do that, uh, make sure you have a few of your elders and your deacons or your leadership, however you structure it and call it. I would say try to make sure that you're fending off um any type of issues or crisis that would come up. And, you know, you'd be surprised on how many people call their pastor just to let him know something so small. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe to them it's big, but, you Mm -hmm. know, in in the realm of being a pastor and taking care of a church, you know, and put it to you like this, unless the church is burning down, if he's on a sabbatical, um, you wouldn't call him. Yeah. You know, and do that. And also think that, you know, the more that, you know, for those that aren't pastors out there that might be listening to this, um, the more burdens that that the the volunteers and the staff take on, it really does truly lighten the load. Um, I know, like I said, I mean, in our church here, we have anywhere between, I would say, fifty to sixty um, volunteers. That that I think that's unique from anything that I've ever experienced with any church that I've ever been in. Um, but in in that you know, if you're in that role, um, try to make sure that you're supporting that position well so it doesn't become a burden. Mm-hmm. Because if I've always heard if you're doing ministry, um, it's better to not do a certain area of ministry unless you're going to take it upon yourself to do it well because then it will become a burden yeah. to the church and the pastor. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Um, I agree. Let's spend some time dissecting what you just said, because I think we, we missed that maybe in our, our notes. One of the things that I think helped 
when the three ministries merged together to create what is now Revive is the fact that we let people, and this is, goes to a smaller church, this goes to a smaller church mentality where the pastor kind of has a hand in everything. Right. We let people have freedom to run a ministry and to do it, and we don't stick our noses in every single decision that they make. We let them make decisions. And I think this is so important maybe for a pastor who's going to listen to this. You don't have to make every single decision. If you put a leader in place, let them be a leader. Yeah. They, they may fail. Yeah. That's, that's, that's going to happen at some point, and that's okay. Step in when they fail, help them out, get them back, let them lead it again. If they fail bad and they have to be removed, okay, I understand that. But if they, if you see something slipping, step in and say, I think that you could work on this, this, and this. And then step a step back and say, all right, take over that. They're the leader of that ministry. Let them lead it, right? We've, been, we've all been guilty of maybe putting our nose and our hand in a situation that we really shouldn't have. It's not even our ministry, right? Would you agree with that? Like That's a huge point. I think that's what makes some of what we do here work pretty well. Is that we let I, we let people have the freedom to do a ministry the way that they feel like God has called them to do it, and I think that is a big point on on uh, at least small church pastors. You get involved in every single thing, and you shouldn't be. Well, I also think you know when you look at, I, I think the biggest word you said right there was let them fail. Um, I just want you to look at it and think about this for a second. If if you allow someone the freedom to take a ministry and run that ministry, you've only got two options. Either they're going to fail miserably, and then you would have to figure out later on, or there's a chance that it could be a great success, and, the, and you're actually teaching them to be a better leader by not micromanaging maybe mm, every aspect of what they're doing. So if if they're really successful at what they're doing, then the burden is lifted. I mean, there's no more burden there if they're really good at doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you yeah. micromanage the the entire um, walk of whatever they're in, then there is absolutely no chance of them becoming a true leader in yeah. what they may feel called to. So mm-hmm. I think I think we're willing to do that. We're willing to take the risk to let something fail um, in hopes that it produces a great leader. And here's the thing is that there's no guarantees that they become a great leader in it, that they might not move off to something else, or they might not even, they may be called to a different church at some point. So if we equip them to be a good leader by letting them mm-hmm. spread their wings and lead, they're going to benefit, if it's not us, someone down the road. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's a win-win. Yeah, I think you can err on two sides. One side is to micromanage and nobody becomes a leader. Right. The other side is to let people have freedom and they're going to fail a little bit. Yeah. We, you and I, tend to tend to err on the let them fail side and sometimes maybe too much. But I like that way more than I like to micromanage. Number one, because it eases my stress level and your stress level. Yeah. Number two, because it gives them the chance to become the leader for Christ that God wants them to be in their house, and in that ministry. That's right. And one of the other things that's pretty cool is to think about, is, and I think this is really important too, if you're going to let somebody lead a ministry, they may not do it the exact way you want them to. Mm-hmm. And Good you point. have to be okay with that. Great point. You have to be okay with that. Right? 
And I think that's one of the things that we, we've kind of come to a realization. And that's what made the merge with Revive work so well, is we let people have those roles, and we didn't get involved in, in we didn't micromanage. We didn't, nobody did. Nobody micromanages each other that much here. And I like, I think that's important, right? Uh, we have a worship leader. He does his thing. Like, and we let it, we, like, that's, that's, that's happens. A children's church director likes to be micromanaged sometimes, but, right? Like, she has the freedom, and, and she made that ministry grow a lot in the last year and a half. Like, we don't micromanage. And I think, as a pastor, sometimes, especially in a small rural congregation, you need to let people take over some roles. Right, you you really do. You need to let them take over some roles, um, and I think that's extremely important, for sure. Well, here's the thing too: is for every single person that fails, if you micromanage it, there's a good chance that it's going to fail anyway because they're going to lose um, their energy for it if they don't feel like they have the freedom. So it's a, almost to me, it's an almost an automatic mm-hmm. failure. But here's the thing: on the flip side of that. If you don't micromanage and they take it, then there is a chance because they become a great leader. Yep. Um, for every single person that becomes a great leader out of that that style or method of leadership, every single leader that becomes a great leader, um, it it strengthens your church. Um, it it just it brings a support team. When I tell you that we have fifty or sixty volunteers at Revive. I mean, we really have, we might have more than that, really, um, for people that are willing to do just about anything. But I, I would say that the support staff is strengthened. It's, it's you know, we're stronger because we manage that yeah, way. Yeah. And we haven't Agreed. always, I haven't always done that. Um, back in, you know, when I first became a pastor, I thought that I had to have my hand in every single thing. And I saw many ministries fail because of that. Yeah. Um, so I've learned, good. you know, not through always doing it right. I failed myself at doing that. So that, I think that's why that I'm at the point, or that's why we're at the point of where we're at, is because we failed and learned through that. So let other people fail. Let them learn. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I agree 100. percent Yeah, and, and that brings me to a text that I was thinking about as we were talking here to end this. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, uh, which says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to, a, this is a key, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so the point is, you're a pastor, not so you can have your hand in everything, but so you can equip the people to do the work of the ministry. Great verse. That's your job. Your job is not to do everything. Your job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Bam. I mean, that's that's it. That's it, that's it right there. You want to ease your stress level and you want to ease your burnout? Take your hands off some stuff and equip somebody to do it. Because they may not do it exactly the way you want. That's okay. They're going to take that and they're going to run with it and they're going to they're going to do what what they feel like God has called them to do. They're going to be and eventually they will grow into that leader that they're supposed to be and they'll start doing that work in ministry. What an amazing thing if we as pastors did that more often, especially in the smaller congregations. Let's equip our people to do more. Well, think about it too. You're only one person. Mm-hmm. I'm only one person. So 
our ideals, I mean, it, when, when you start looking across what happens in a church on a, on a, you know, on a weekly basis from men's and children's to nursery to food ministries and, and volunteering to the worship, I mean, if, if we are one person and we're geared one way, our ideal might not be the best. Yeah. Most likely, if, if you were looking at it, your ideals probably aren't the best across every single scope yeah, yeah. of the ministry. <laughs> so I think giving people a voice, letting them know that they can fail, um, it opens up a whole, inner, to me it's an energetic um, strength to the church yeah. that not only, you know, and, and I think when you do that, it also gives your, when your leaders know that they can fail, yeah. man, they'll take on the burdens that you That's were true. carrying. That's a good point, yeah. They're willing to take it on. If they know this is on them, it's almost like if you were to micromanage anything um, let's just forget about the church for a minute. If you micromanage something, then you are going to be the one that's going to show up early. You're going to be the one that's going to be there late. Uh, you're going to be the one setting up whatever and tearing down and cleaning up. So when you give people the freedom and they take on that, that burden of responsibility, um, that's lifted off you, and it gives them a chance to become a great leader. And I think that's going right back to that verse you said. Yep. We're equipping. That is our job. Yep, and, Exactly. And, not everybody wants to be equipped, and the ones that don't want to be equipped, that's okay. We're going to help them out and do whatever we can to make them be successful. But to the ones that want to be equipped, that are made for leadership, mm -hmm. this is a great yeah. method that we use. Yeah, absolutely. And like we said, some people just aren't made for leadership positions. That's all. They can learn leadership skills, but they're never going to be that great, amazing leader. They may not be fit for the role of, of whatever you're thinking about. But there are people in your church who can take over some roles, and if you equip them, they're going to do that ministry great, and you need to let them have that. And I think that was a good, that's a good way to kind of end our top topic. If, if we as pastors don't want to get burnt out, we need to give up some ministries and let people take them over. Amen. That's a good way to end our discussion. Thanks uh, to Pastor Earl for coming on and having a conversation around the Bible. Uh, like I said, we're focused on just sitting around the scriptures, talking about it, talking about some topics that need to be discussed. Um, so thanks for coming on and having a conversation with me. Amen. Yep. All right. Enjoy it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.